Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. This is about to be a mashup. I honestly do not know what's about to go down in this episode. (laughs) Okay, so full disclosure, we are pre-recording this on Thursday, September 1st, so that it can be released on the Monday of Labor Day, because we only have two episodes this week when you're listening to this instead of three. So we're basically combining the Kardashian bonus show and the regular episode. So we're doing any news that came out since our Monday episode aired, and then plus one or two more episodes of the recap of Chloe and Lamar put together in one. So... I don't know. It's a little bit chaotic. You know what this episode kind of feels like to me? The Sweet Life, Hannah Montana? Yes, but no, I was going to say, like, you know when you go on vacation and your mom doesn't feel like actually making dinner, so it's just like everything you have in the house and she also kind of wants to clear out the fridge? Like, that's <laughs> what I feel like this episode is. It's like the night before vacation dinner. That's kind of what it is. Well, we had no other choice. I know, but I'm excited about it. I like that dinner. Okay, so the first thing we wanted to talk about, it's not necessarily news, but this was actually a topic that was informed based on our DMs because we got so many messages about this that we had to check it out. Holly and Bridget from the show Girls Next Door started their own podcast called Girls Next Level, where they not only are going to be recapping every single episode of Girls Next Door, but right now they've released three episodes that are the prequel. So they're really just explaining how they got involved with Hef and Playboy in the Mansion and how they became the girlfriends. And when I tell you, it is fascinating. I am obsessed, but I've always been obsessed And for some reason, I hadn't started to listen to the podcast yet until we decided that we were going to talk about it on the episode. I'm hooked. 
I'm so grateful to everyone who listens to our podcast and DM'd us about this because truly this has fulfilled a curiosity that I've had for so many years, but I guess never just did the research myself. I know Holly released her book, Down the Rabbit Hole. I know she was on Call Her Daddy. I had read some of Down the Rabbit Hole. I had listened to Call Her Daddy, but there's something about the two of them doing it together that is seriously transporting me back to you know 2005 when, keep in mind, I was 11 years old when Girls Next Door first came on, and I watched every single episode. I was nine. Like, who allowed that? No one. No one was watching me. So here's the thing about this podcast. We're not necessarily going to recap what we've listened to because I would never want to do them the disservice by us trying to tell their story. I'm telling you, if you have any interest in this, it is worth the listen because hearing the two of them go back and forth and even something as small as one will say something and it'll spark a memory in another about a very specific anecdote and they kind of go more into detail. I think aside from the fact that I would be interested regardless, I happen to think their chemistry and the way that they're doing it is so well done. The shared experience is really important to this podcast and to like my understanding of it, because like you said, Holly has her book and Holly has done interviews since then. And so it's not like we went into this podcast completely blind to what went on in the mansion. It was just that everything we were getting was kind of just Holly's experience. And it's not that we didn't believe her, of course, it was just like a one-sided experience. And so for them to bounce off of each other and have this shared experience and talk about little details that were different, talk about little details that were the same. To me, that's like the most fascinating part of it. And keep in mind, when Girls Next Door was on, it was Bridget, Holly, and Kendra. And in the last seven or so years since they've really started to talk more about their experiences, it's made it very clear that it's Bridget and Holly and then Kendra. You know, Kendra tells a little bit of a different story than they do. And I think even in these episodes, and it's been so many years, you can hear the resentment specifically in Holly's voice anytime Kendra is brought up because I think she feels so continually frustrated that in her mind, Kendra kind of invalidated her experiences. It's funny because I think at the time, Kendra was my favorite. When the show was on, I think I always had a soft spot for Holly, but I was excited by Kendra, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I have to do a rewatch. I know Isabel's done a rewatch a couple of times. I haven't watched it since it was first on. I'm telling you though, Julie, this is setting us up for such a perfect experience because we can rewatch it with them as they're doing the podcast. It's kind of like when people rewatch Kardashians with us and we're recapping every episode, that's what they're doing. But theirs is like in a whole other category because they actually lived it. Right. And we only delusionally think we did. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, in their podcast, the first ever episode is really, really setting the scene and taking you back to how they got involved in Playboy in general and specifically, you know, trying to make the millennium issue and what that looked like and going to these open casting calls in LA and really just their first experience with anything to do with Playboy. But a point that Holly makes that I think is so interesting is she's like, if you wanted to be sexy or if you wanted to show your sexiness to the world, you had to do it on someone else's platform. Social media didn't exist in the way that it exists now. And so Playboy, one, it had such an esteem then that it doesn't have now, but it also was really their portal for publicizing themselves. And so kind of the monopoly that Playboy had was something that I really took away from when listening to this because going to those casting calls and trying to be one of those 12 women that was in the issue was, you really felt like it was your one shot. And that's definitely how it's continually described throughout the episodes where it's like, if you don't do this, you may never get the opportunity again. And that opportunity was everything at the time. It was their currency, it was their livelihood. And I think that's something really fascinating about the podcast as a whole. 
not just the intricacies of the Playboy Mansion and being half's girlfriend is just like the culture of L.A. during that time, because you can watch so many different things and you can consume so much. But unless you're living in L.A. at that time, specifically as like a girlfriend of half or like a Playboy bunny, whatever it is, that's an impossible thing to really understand. And I think what this does is it gives you a really good glimpse into what that was like. Right, exactly. And that's why going back to the shared experience thing, I'm almost strangely not only happy for myself as the listener, I'm like happy for them that they have each other to validate what they're saying because obviously I believe everything. But some of it, I think it it sounds so unbelievable that it, it, it probably carries a lot of power for them to have each other there to be like, no, the way that you're portraying it is exactly what went down. Well, you know what else is interesting is that both of them have these moments where they're telling a story and because it's just their life, they don't realize the deeper level of it or that what was problematic about it or they didn't at the time. And so as they're telling a story, one will point it out to each other and they'll be like, well, that was really gaslighting or like that was really inappropriate when you think about it. And they kind of have this in the moment, real time realization of like, oh, wow, I've realized so much throughout this experience of things that were wrong and things that affected me in a way I didn't realize, but like that specific one detail I had never thought about that way. And so watching them process that in real time and also process it because of the other's experience adds a whole other layer to this. Right. And you hear them say that in doing the prep for the podcast, in a lot of ways, it was really triggering because they had to consume so much information and they really had to transport themselves back into a time that when they look back was honestly traumatizing. So to hear that and then to listen to them process it, I have to imagine that the actual processing while talking is honestly cathartic. Totally. You know, what was interesting was hearing them talk about how no matter what way they described the relationship with Hef, no one would believe them. Like had they said they were having sex with him, everybody was first reaction was like, there's no way he's like this old man. Like there's no way he's having like that much sex. There's no way he's able to do that. And then if they said they weren't having sex with him, everyone was like, okay, yeah, sure. You're living in this house and you're not having sex. And it was like, no matter what experience they chose to share, no one would believe them. And I was trying to think as they were speaking, like, is the way they're describing their experience what I thought it was like. Her point is so true in that they couldn't win in the eye of public perception. And when I was thinking back to my view on it, which really was a very naive view. Again, I started watching the show when I was 11 years old. So let's say from 11 to 16, I don't think that I ever thought more deeply about the sexual component of it because on Girls Next Door, they never really covered that. So it was always kind of unspoken, but I don't think I ever thought deeply about the logistics of it. Obviously I was too young, but even as I got a little bit older, and then I would say in the last like six or so years is when I almost re-remembered about the show and had such a heightened curiosity. And I feel like Holly has done such a good job over the years of answering some of the questions that we had, but in this, they're going in depth in like a totally different way. I can remember at the time trying to figure out whether or not they had sex because you're right. They didn't explicitly ever say it on the show. And they talk about this in the podcast where they're like, that was a thing that you didn't say. Like you didn't talk about the sex with half. Like if you were doing interviews, if you were talking to anybody, that was not a thing that was ever brought up, even among the girls. Like when they talk about the recruiter and bringing new girls in, like it was not explicitly said until you were in Hef's bedroom, what was going to go down and, or until you were invited out with Hef, what was going to go down. And I can remember being young, obviously my only view of what was going on in the mansion was like them being his girlfriends from the point of view of an ETV show. And I can remember thinking that I didn't think that they had sex, but 
it was like definitely a half age thing. Well, to the point about them not really knowing what was going to go on in the bedroom until they were out with him, to me, something that has always resonated every time I've heard Holly talk about it and really hear when I heard them both talk about it is how successfully Hef and the mansion pitted the women against each other to the point where you were entirely in the dark and that was very intentional. They wanted to keep it that way. So much so that I think it was Holly was saying, you know, one of the first nights she got there, one of the girls said to her, you know what happens after? And she was like, I was so concerned to even act as if I didn't know that I said, yeah, yeah, I know. She's like, I didn't dare ask another question because I didn't want to show off that I was naive, first of all. And second of all, I I didn't know if she was trying to scare me. You know, like they really successfully created an environment where there was no trust in one another. They removed that camaraderie that could have been really powerful. Oh, there was no camaraderie there. And that was really interesting to me was finding out about the relationship between the girls. Obviously, like my interest level in all of this is like very much half focused. Like that's my fascination. But with the dynamics between the girls and the fighting and the bickering and the kind of natural girl stuff that was escalated by the way that the dynamics of the mansion and the dynamics of the relationship with Hef were set up and then exacerbated by that. Like there's one point where Holly is talking. I think it was Holly who was saying it, where she's saying that, you know, in Hef's room, when everybody's having sex and it's like a group sex thing, you are naked having sex with Hef in front of a room of girls actively talking shit about you. When she said that, it like sent a chill down my spine. I just, I can't think of something that makes you feel more vulnerable in that moment. First of all, you're engaging in an act that you don't want to be engaging in that you didn't even know you were engaging in up until it happened. I mean, the first time she had sex with him, he just got on top of her. She was really drunk. She's laying at the end of the bed and the recruiter or whoever says something disgusting. I Hearing it come out of my mouth is like making me gag, but like, daddy, you want to get on top? Something like that. I can't. And he just got on top of her and she's like, you just feel so exposed. And not to jump too much, but when she's talking about that exact experience and saying that even though it was so traumatizing and not enjoyable, the idea of doing that and then having nothing come from it was almost even scarier. You know, everyone watched her do it. It's like, okay, well, what happens next? Right. Well, there was this certain level of validation from Hef that they also talk about. It's like these two combining ideas that really kept them in the house and kept them continuing with this aside from just like a certain level of like desperation, which they talk about for, you know, whether it was not having roommates, not having an apartment, really wanting this lifestyle, like that's what really kept this afloat. But also at the same time, it was this idea of like, well, I couldn't have done all of this for nothing after the first time. And also that validation from Hef was huge for them. Like they talk about getting that call from Hef and being so excited to hear from him and so excited to, you know, receive that from him, even though they were so like, disgusted by what they had to do for that almost. Yeah, it was serious manipulation and this almost perfected power dynamic that, you know, Hef and the mansion had kind of put into place. I thought, honestly, one of the most interesting things was when Holly said, you know, I know this may sound bizarre to say, but we were living there at the time that September 11th happened. And she's like, I don't know, you know, if any of you listening remember what that was like, but you're saying to yourself, okay, that happened in New York. What's next? What's going to happen to LA? And they were talking about how literally having the security of the physical mansion and how it felt like uh, almost this fortress. 
honestly was one of the things that aided in the feeling of safety, which like think about two things you would never think to discuss in the same sentence, even remotely, Girls Next Door and 9-11. And strangely, she's making this point that actually made so much sense, especially Holly's coming from Alaska. You know, she had nothing in LA. It's not like she had this whole community. Her community was Playboy. And so she's talking about how like literally the structure of the Playboy Mansion and all of the comforts that came with it, like really aided in how she was processing the fear we all had during 9-11. I was like, holy shit. It's a crazy jump. It's a crazy jump, but it, it actually makes so much sense. Well, that's what the house provided them as a whole was like the mansion was their protection. And even if they didn't like what was going on inside of it, it they all got to a certain point or they all started at the point of like, well, I'd rather be here than not. Yeah. And that's why I think that as the years went on and on, I'm not even talking about after the fact, obviously now they can look at it with so much clarity, but I think as the years went on and on and things started to fall apart a little more. And it wasn't that same upkeep. And even Holly's talking about how when she first joined, you know, Hef would give each of the girls a budget and you would buy one thing for yourself and then six of that exact same thing for everyone else. And she's saying that, you know, in the beginning, it was enough where she could buy her and everyone else Louis Vuitton evening bags and her and everyone else Gucci bags. And then Bridget's talking about when she came, which was only six months later, the budget was no longer that. And I just think that, while they were living there, the facade started to shift in addition to obviously after the fact, having the realization. Right. It was like, in addition to them gaining an understanding of how toxic of an environment this was, it was also the quote, old Hollywood appeal that was factually falling apart in front of their eyes. Well, you know, what else was really crazy is that, and I remember thinking this at the time too, is like, have had a really good reputation. Like the, the idea of Hugh Hefner and the way that people thought he operated and the way the women were treated and the way the house was kept like Hef was this like really good guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that was like a reputation. They all played a role in keeping up. And I think that that's a huge part of these podcasts is that, and telling the story is not just like, well, here's what really went on. Like, here's the tea, here's the dirt. It was like, for some reason, we all had this idea that even though we knew this was going on and we knew to a certain extent that the Playboy Mansion did not <laughs> operate in like the kindest of way towards women. For some reason, we all had this idea that Hugh Hefner was just a really good guy. And I remember thinking that at 13 years old, you know, n- not aspiring to date someone like that or anything like that, but genuinely feeling like, wow, look at this kind relationship this man has with these women. And I look back and it's like, holy shit. It's so weird. And I know it's not weird that we thought that because clearly other people did too. And clearly that was the way that it was presented to us. But yeah, I do remember, I remember watching it at the time and feeling like that was the element of it that made sense. Like none of this made sense to me. It didn't make sense to me that like these girls were his girlfriend. It made sense to me that they wanted to live in this mansion to a certain extent. But the part of it that made sense to me was like, he was just this kind old man that they enjoyed being around. Well, I think one of the reasons that he was able to keep up that persona, in addition to surrounding himself with people that spoke very highly of him and creating such an exclusivity that you just wanted in so badly, you were maybe able to overlook things, is that in so many ways he had other people doing his dirty work for him, specifically really being so intentional and turning the women against each other, like we were talking about earlier. So I think at times there 
you know, anger was almost misdirected at the other girls because he did such a good job at curating a space in which he always maintained above it all. And obviously now they look back and and they can see it, but you can't see that in the moment. Let's also not forget they were so young. Oh my God. I mean, and also it was like, this became their livelihood. They needed it to survive and it was their job and it was their home. It was every single thing combined into one. And so when Holly describes the living environment, and I think she says this first in her book as very cult-like and that Hef was a cult-like leader. Yeah. Part of that goes into him being charming and, you know, outwardly somebody that the rest of the public, I don't know if I would say admires, but like thinks sort of highly of, and that's how this was able to all be pulled off. And it was just the dynamics of it all. And with the other women and with Hef and just fascinating to me because I think this is something that all of us have been very interested in, but it was almost more just from like a fascination level of like, how did that work? And now as we're delving more into it, it's like, oh, wow, there are things that we would have never even thought to begin to ask. I know it's like I had so many questions and now listening to this, I'm realizing how many more questions I had that I wouldn't have even previously thought of. I just, I can't get enough of this. I'm, I'm seriously so appreciative to everyone who told us to listen because it is so beyond interesting. And I really give them a lot of credit for taking an experience that was so traumatizing and took so much to even begin to work through and then turning that into something where I hope it can be empowering to explain it to the masses in a way that's like really shaping your own narrative. Oh, absolutely. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over-the-counter allergy spray. And it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid-free allergy spray. And Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real. And for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics Mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. 
it really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Okay, as everyone knows by now, and by the time this episode comes out, it may even be considered old news, but we'd had to just briefly touch on the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio and his girlfriend of five years, Camilla Marone, have broken up. (laughs) I am sure if you are listening to this podcast, you also consume internet and meme culture, and you've been made aware of really the way the internet has taken this breakup and just ran with it. Of course, due to the ongoing theory that Leo is incapable of dating women over the age of 25. And like clockwork, Camilla turns 25 and the relationship ends. If I'm Leo, I am fighting back so hard in this theory that I'm waiting till she's minimally 27 just for the purposes of this not being able to happen. If I'm Leo, I'm asking Helen Mirren out on a date just to like shut everybody up. Like, <laughs> what? what is this guy's deal? You know what? I I choose to believe. <laughs> I choose to believe that Leo loves internet culture so much that he would never want to deprive us of the days that we've been having on the internet. Because I have to tell you, I've never had more fun. Here's the thing, though. There's only so many jokes you can make, so it starts to get really repetitive. But the ones that hit really fucking hit. You know what? I honestly don't mind them being a little repetitive because each person taking the same joke and making it a little bit more creative and a little different, like for the time being, I know it'll get old in three days and we'll all move on to something else, but I can appreciate that art. But what do you think about the GG rumors? Because for a while now, I mean, I think it started with Dumois saying that Leo and Gigi were spotted at the Ned, which is formerly the Nomad Hotel. But, you know, she's 27. She is a kid in terms of his typical demographic. It's not what he seems to be into. And she, from her side, I can't think of two people more opposite than Zane and Leonardo DiCaprio. I'll be fascinated if the Gigi rumors are true because I know they've been circulating for a little while. I think they actually first started circulating in July because I remember July 4th weekend when Leo and Camilla were together uh, with Tobey Maguire. It was like kind of put those rumors to rest for a minute. And now that they've broken up, I think that those have started gaining traction again. I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see. I I don't hate that as a couple. Like I, I think that's a very hot couple. I think pop culture wise, that's something we would all be really fascinated in. I have this reflex that happens to me entirely unintentionally, where anytime there's a Gigi dating rumor, I immediately am transported back to the paparazzi photos of her and Tyler Cameron, and then Tyler Cameron at her grandmother's funeral in the Netherlands. Like it, it just, it's, it's like a knee-jerk reaction that I cannot control. So I'll put it like this, Leo or whoever the next person she dates may be, I have a much easier time believing it because the Tyler Cameron one to me was still one of the biggest pop culture whiplash moments we've experienced. Like not because it's so crazy. It was just so out of the blue and strangely felt like it escalated so quickly and then was gone as soon as it came. So yeah, why not? The dating wasn't crazy. They were an evenly matched couple in terms of attraction level. Tyler Cameron was having a moment. That made sense to me. Going to your dates, not even girlfriend. I don't even think you'd say we're officially girlfriend, boyfriend, going to the girl you're dating's grandmother's funeral in the Netherlands after a couple of weeks is one of the craziest things I've ever heard in my life, pop culture or not. 
I mean, that that is when we talk about like a record scratch freeze frame, you're probably wondering how I ended up here a moment, like for sure for him. But I actually would, would, uh, I was about to say fight you back on that. I'm not going to fight you back, but I would like to make a counterpoint, which is I did think that it was a very mismatched couple, not in terms of looks, but I'm trying to think of how to say this. Like as much fame as you can possibly get from The Bachelor, I still think that when you are one of the contestants, there's still something about you that will always like it puts a rose in your bio. <laughs> right. Like it puts a rose in your bio, which for the majority of people is no big deal. I just think that for Gigi or Bella or someone who is considered that A-list, like we're talking really, really A-list here, that it would, I don't know, wouldn't be something that I would have considered. But let me ask you a question. Gigi, I, I mean, it wasn't her show. She wasn't a housewife, but her beginning is Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So is there really that much of a difference between the two of them in terms of start of fame? It's a really fair point, and there's definitely an argument to be made for that. I guess when I was thinking about it, it wasn't in terms of the origin of fame. It was more so where they both sat in the current pop culture landscape and how, to me, I think for Gigi, there's no reality TV association anymore or very little. Whereas for Tyler, he's very much, at the time at least, was very much still in that world. Well, it's funny because... And this is where the Bachelor thing would 100% come into play. But a lot of people have DM'd us saying that Kim and Tyler Cameron could be a thing. And in my eyes, I think that would be so hot. And I would love Kim to fuck around a little bit and have that. But like, they're never going to actually date. And even though Kim's start is reality TV, there's no way that those two things are even slightly comparable. No, I mean, t when I hear that, I'm like, wow, I love the creativity. Keep it coming. That's something I would bet my life on would never happen. Maybe, maybe fine. One night they happen to be out there at the same place. I would say a drunken hookup, but like Kim doesn't even really drink, but she's just really like, you know what? I want to go for it. That I could see. I could, I could never even see a paparazzi shot. I mean, no. Right. You know, what's funny about a drunken hookup with Kim is that like, and how relatable is this? I feel like if Kim and Tyler Cameron ever hooked up, it wouldn't be because they were at the same place and they just happened to both be drunk and make it happen. It would be a thing where Kim was like, I kind of just want to hook up with him one time. Like he's so hot. I just want to know what that's like. And so she plans a thing where she goes out and like purposely gets drunk that in a night that she wouldn't have just to be able to make that happen seamlessly. <laughs> It's so relatable, specifically for me and you. I mean, we were just having this conversation of like really hacking the system in terms of not having to go out, not even having to drink with everyone. Listen, alcohol doesn't have to be her vice. Maybe she wanted to take a little bit of an edible just like to kind of take the edge off. She can have her own night, do whatever she wants. By the way, she could do her entire 12 step skin skincare routine and then invite him over. He doesn't have to know where she just was. That is the ultimate system hack. You can do whatever before and then you could you know, yeah, I was at a dinner with my friends. Yeah, I was at some event. It's Kim Kardashian. She could be at anything. He doesn't have to know she has not left her her home. <laughs> yeah, but Kim can't just invite Tyler Cameron over unless she doesn't have the kids there. I mean, she yeah. could, by the way. I'm not saying she w isn't able to. I'm just saying she wouldn't. Right. But like, <laughs> I don't even know how we got here. This is so outlandish and not rooted in reality. But like, let's say Kim decided, you know what? Fuck it. I want to get a room at the Beverly Hills Hotel for the night. Actually, I raise you one. I want to get a floor at the Beverly Hills Hotel for the night. Oh, baby. And he doesn't have to know that she wasn't at some speaking engagement that happened, you know, in Beverly Hills. And so she didn't want to go all the way back to Calabasas. Like she can curate her night in whatever way she wants it. And then he can just show up. 
if I'm Tyler Cameron and I'm listening to this, I've just convinced myself that this is happening. But you know what I mean? Like I was so immersed in this conversation of trying to figure out how Kim and Tyler Cameron could just have one night together and how she would be able to pull it off that I felt like it was such a given that all we had to do was help Kim with the logistics. Wait, can I tell you the funnier thing to envision isn't Tyler thinking about how this is going to happen. It's Kim listening to this and being like, oh, that's how I do it. I would actually die. Like, you know what I would want more than anything in the entire world? If Kim hooked up based on like our advice, like I don't need the confirmation (laughs) that it happened. I just want the confirmation of like what tactic she used. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That is so funny to think about. You know what else would be funny is the idea that like Kim just goes through all of the guys that were on her SNL episode. Like she did pee. Now she goes to Tyler Cameron. She hits up Blake Griffin next. Like she just goes one by one of all of the people that she had that like one night experience with. And then like in a couple of years, there's a documentary of like the, the curse of the SNL episode. <laughs> and Amy Schumer's like, uh, <laughs> that's me though. I am straight direct one line vision to Blake Griffin. Not even looking elsewhere. Obviously same, but it's a little bit more difficult when your sister has already dated him. Yeah. Well, this whole thing is fantasy though, Julie. We've just lost, we've lost the plot for a few minutes here, but that's fun. Why not? I never had the plot. (laughs) You know, it's one thing about me. I'm gonna lose the plot. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainor, New Kids on the Block, Sean Paul, Sum 41, Whitney Cummings, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now. That's livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now. The wait is over. That's right, season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. I'm not kidding when I tell you the on the JLo wedding weekend email just came through at this exact moment. Are you going to read it to me? To us? <laughs> like, should I? It's long. I really would love you to. Do you think anyone would want to hear that? It would probably take me, I'm looking at it, it'd probably take me like four minutes to read. I think that even if somebody had read it by the time this episode comes out, they'll just use this as like a bedtime story. <laughs> Okay, it starts with a photo of them kissing, and it says in quotes, This is heaven. Right here. We're in it now. That's one of my favorite lines that Ben wrote from a movie he directed called Live by Night. He also said it the night of our wedding reception in his speech, and I thought, how perfect. It had rained at sunset every day that week. Everyone was worried about the heat, the aptly named love bugs, the details, would the guests all arrive on time, etc. Not to mention the thunder and lightning that arrived almost on cue each day at the exact time the ceremony was supposed to start that Saturday. Oh, and all of us caught a stomach bug and were recuperating till late in the week. That, and along with a few other unexpected setbacks, had all the makings of a doozy of a wedding weekend. <laughs> Did Jayla just say doozy? I was really concerned about the stomach bug. <laughs> the truth is, I never had one doubt. All week, I felt the calm and easy certainty that we were in God's hands. At 6.45, Saturday, August 20th, the sun broke free and cast its rays like little diamonds dancing across the river behind the makeshift altar in our backyard. 
The sky was clear blue and distant clouds of pure white held fast in the sky. As the sun set behind the live oak draped in Spanish moss, a warm breeze swept over the lawn where our closest family and friends sat, and, at long last, I started my walk down the stairs that would become the aisle that would lead me toward the rest of my life. Ah, it was actually happening. Ben and I talked about Mark Cohn's True Companion as the perfect wedding love song in this very house more than 20 years ago. That's what we were saying, that it was literally the house they were supposed to get married in. Okay. Though Ben didn't know, I asked Mark to surprise him by singing it at our wedding, and he was lovely and generous to come. As I walked down the aisle, the first song he played wasn't True Companion, however. It was his The Things We've Handed Down, a song about the wonderful mystery of children, something we could only guess at back then, but it was the perfect choice as our five children preceded me on the walk. The 20 years between those dreams of youth and the adult world of love and family we embraced that day brought more to this marriage than either of us could have ever imagined. We weren't only marrying one another, we were marrying these children into a new family. They were the only people we asked to stand up for us in our wedding party. To our great honor and joy, each one did. As the eldest of our children finished her walk, Mark began True Companion, a song we first listened to together what seemed both like yesterday and forever ago. And life came strangely, beautifully, mysteriously, divinely full circle. Later, Ben told me that the chords of the song and seeing Mark Cohn both shocked him and allowed him to feel the way both roads we had walked found their way, inevitably, inexorably, and perfectly together. And when he saw me appear at the top of the stairs that moment, it made both absolute sense while seeming still impossibly hard to believe, like the best dream where all you want is never to awaken. I would have had many of the same thoughts probably had I not been focusing so hard on not tripping over my dress, but when I got close enough to see his face, it made the same wonderful sense to me. Some old wounds were healed that day, and the weight of the past finally lifted off our shoulders. Full circle, and not at all the way we planned, better. Oh, she does the rehearsals dinner. Do you want to hear this or no? Of course I do. I'm literally loving this book. (laughs) Okay. This is the rehearsal dinner. Ben and I laughed the night before about getting married again at our age. We had both been married before, and we aren't exactly kids anymore, but somehow now seemed like the only age that made sense. I had recently read something Rainer Marie Rilke wrote in Letters to a Young Poet about love. He said one has to be ready for love. Quote, for one human to love another is the most difficult task. It's the work for which all other work is merely preparation. Being able to love someone so that you want to be better for them and make them happy, because giving happiness and love becomes more joyful than receiving it, is true, sublime adult love. He believed love must be learned and learning time is long. One has to become whole for the sake of another person so that two solitudes border, protect, and greet each other. Merging and surrendering takes wisdom, self-awareness, and is nearly impossible in the heat of a youthful impatience. Okay, this is the reception. She looked so, oh my God, Julie, they had a neon sign. Mr. and Mrs. Affleck, neon sign. I would not have thought that. I wouldn't have thought there were neon sign people. I bet one of their kids was like, you know what you need for your wedding. Yeah, I'm happy they did. Okay, the truth is everyone's story is different and we all have our path to travel. No two people are the same, but for us, this was perfect timing. Nothing ever felt more right to me, and I knew we were finally settling down in a way you can only do when you understand loss and joy, and you are battle-tested enough to never take the important things for granted, or let the silly, insignificant things of the day get in the way of embracing every precious moment. We find ourselves in that long-desired time of life, having gratitude for all that life has shown us, even as trials and tribulations, that night really was heaven." The morning after glow. What a spread. And it says, the day after, we all gathered for a yummy brunch by the lake. For those who are interested in such things, I have a few details of what we did decor-wise on each of the three days. Obviously, we're interested. I designed it and could easily talk about it for days. I wanted each day to have its own personality, but fit the setting we were in for the weekend. The vibes were down-home, rustic, country chic. Final line. 
Years ago, we had no idea the road ahead would be navigating so many labyrinths and hold so many surprises, blessings, and delights. It all culminated in this moment, one of the most perfect of our lives. We couldn't have been happier. I wish all of you the same kind of happiness, the hard-earned kind that's the sweeter for the journey that came before it. We love you guys forever on the JLo. First of all, you did an amazing job. That was the best out loud reading I have quite literally ever heard. (laughs) Thank you. I'm really happy that JLo has this because clearly writing is such a passion for her. I mean, whoever is the copywriter here really told a story there. I kind of felt like I was there for the weekend when I was reading that. Me too. I felt that rustic energy. It's so important that she is with someone that like is so down for her to really be the star of the show. I think it was Justin Sylvester that I heard talking about this on Daily Pop. Maybe it was him. And he was saying like, people were shitting on her for wearing so many gowns. And it's like, why? Like, what did you expect? Of course, this is going to be her moment. Let her celebrate that. You know what? I cannot even imagine getting pictures from a wedding, a JLo wedding, and then being upset about outfit changes. I would be upset if there wasn't outfit changes. Later, we got to look at these pictures more, like not mid-recording, because I think you will think that it's really pretty. I'm, I know I will. Do you think it's hilarious that I don't actually sign up for the On The JLo newsletter because I only want it to come from On The JLo to you and then to me? I don't want to be direct to the source. Yeah. And I kind of like that. Like, I don't know. It's just this fun little thing we have going, you know? Yeah. It's my favorite bit that we do. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Okay, so final segment of this very chaotic episode is the Kardashian bonus show, which for this week is a Chloe and Lamar season one episode recap. I know a lot of you have stopped interest here. So for those of you that are done listening, thank you so much. We'll see you on Friday for Bravo and then we'll see you next week for the regular episode. For those of you that are on the Chloe and Lamar journey with us, this is a good one because we're entering Malika and Rob territory. 
Have they ever actually hooked up? But that's what I was going to ask you. In this episode, at the end, didn't they actually have sex or they were kidding? I can't tell. Like, I don't know. In the end of the episode, we're skipping a little bit ahead here because this is there's two episodes that we technically did. And this is the end of the second episode, episode five. But at the end, they walk in and they're in bed together asleep. I still don't know if this was a situation where they're for real hooked up or if it was just part of the bit for the show or if it wasn't even for the show, if they were doing it for Chloe, knowing that Chloe would come in and check on them. But if they were doing it for knowing that Chloe would come in and check on them, wouldn't they have said that in their confessional? Like, wouldn't have Malika or Rob said, you know, we didn't actually sleep together, but we just knew that Chloe would flip. Like, nobody said that. I don't know. Like in my memory of this, it's always been just like this ongoing joke between the two of them that never actually happened. And then when I saw them asleep in bed together and granted, I don't, you didn't watch the next episode yet, right? Mm -mm. I don't know. They may bring it up in that. I like to watch the episodes as we talk about them. Um, But yeah, I mean, what? maybe they just, I, I know this sounds like naive, like maybe they just slept in bed together, but like maybe they just slept in bed together. I, because it is so insignificant now and it changes nothing in terms of how it impacted like the course of their lives or what's going to happen now, I am choosing to believe that it was real and that they were really even just hooking up because I loved that coupling. To me, that would have been like so perfect. Well, maybe they should have ended up together. I know it, it seems like so far off, but technically you never know. It still could happen. It totally still could. I just think they're both like not at that place in their lives with each other. This was like, listen, the dynamic of this relationship was very like forbidden love in the sense of like, oh, it's my sister's best friend. Oh, it's my best friend's brother. Like, obviously that is just the number one fantasy. And so they both really played into that. But I think they both did really like each other. I don't know if they ever saw a future, but when I watch them interact, I'm like, Oh, there was totally something here. They had the type of relationship where if this was how they interacted when Rob and Adrian were dating, Adrian would have been like, something's a little fishy here. Oh, absolutely. And it would have been warranted. I mean, I don't think Malika would have ever done that. But yeah, it was undeniable chemistry. I think so, too. One of my favorite parts about this season is every single person individually has a relationship with the other. Like, you know, we talked about it was kind of a different cast in the season. Like you're dealing with Rob and Malika relationships. You're dealing with Rob and Lamar relationships. You're dealing with Jamie and Lamar and Rob relationships. You're dealing with Chloe and Malika relationships. Like every single dynamic, every single person in this group has something with somebody else in the group. It's like fascinating to watch unfold. Yeah, they were very much not just coexisting, which just to backtrack for a second, I know we kind of did this in the reverse order, but in episode four, the real focus here is that in addition to Chloe and Malika being best friends, Malika is also her personal assistant. And you see she's becoming more and more frustrated by the role because there's things that Malika wants to pursue in her own career. And she feels like working for Chloe and almost devoting so much of her attention and time to Chloe's life and what Chloe needs is really taking away from her ability to pursue what she wants. And you see it's building a lot of resentment in her. And that moment when she basically like breaks down to Chloe and is like, I just think I need a little bit of space here. I, I It's not that I ever forgot that that happened. I, I knew it did, but they're so removed from that point to me. Like I, when I look at Chloe and Malika's relationship, I don't think, oh, Malika used to be her assistant. To me, it's like they are just truly best friends on the exact same level. And so watching this dynamic here, 
Not to say it wasn't really, really upsetting for Malika because it was, but it was really upsetting for Chloe. I think it was jarring for her that she was having this realization that Malika was feeling like this. Like I, to her, I think that it was heartbreaking almost. She felt so guilty. Yeah, it's really interesting to watch the dynamics when it's like celebrity and childhood friend. And also like the childhood friend kind of wants to become a celebrity in and of themselves. Like Malika and Khadija were doing movies before Chloe was Chloe. I love forgetting and remembering that Khadija and Malika were in Sky High together. Like not that they had these major roles, but it wasn't just that Malika wanted to take on acting once Chloe became Chloe. It was like, this was something she wanted to do way before then. And so to watch that dynamic play out, it's the automatic power dynamic between, you know, Chloe, who's more famous and Malika, who's the childhood friend. And then on top of that, you add a shared desire for fame and things can get really messy there. It does get very messy. And that's certainly not Kardashian specific. I think that with them, from what we know, the times like these where there had to be a moment of kind of like a shift in the relationship because it was clearly causing some emotional issues, they either had to be infrequent or they had to be solved really well. Because if you look at the trajectory, most of the people they've been friends with since day one, they're still friends with. You know, there's been the falling out between a few here and there, specifically some members of the glam teams, but their real ride or die friendships are the same from the beginning seasons. Right. I mean, listen, we know Kim's high school friend group, the lifers, is still very much intact. And, you know, it's interesting because the one that we obviously know the best is Allison Statter, and she has her own family of fame. It's a little bit more behind the scenes, but she is no stranger to that life. And so I think that you can examine that dynamic as being entirely different from Chloe and Malika, whereas Kim and Allison, I think they were able to maintain this friendship in such a way because it doesn't seem like Allison had that desire for fame, but their lifestyles were always very similar. I think with Chloe and Malika, they've been able to maintain this incredible relationship, but I'm sure there was a lot of work that had to go into that. And you're really seeing this this episode. Yeah. And I think that, I listen, it's so hard to say, like to, to rank the closeness of the different friendships. Like if we wanted to say, you know, Kylie and Stoss and Kendall and Haley and Chloe and Malika, Kim and Allison, Courtney and Sarah Howard, it's impossible to do so. We don't know them intimately enough, but Chloe and Malika have always stood out to me as like, this, this one is never going anywhere. I'm really curious if Rob and Malika have an individual relationship at this point in their lives. I am choosing to believe yes. You know, the conversation we were just having a few minutes ago about, you know, what could have been between Rob and Malika. And I know, I'm sure that if you're either of them and you're listening to this, not that they ever would be, it's like, it's almost comical of how like outlandish of an idea that currently is. I'm sure that ship has really, really sailed. But I think something that we've seen with Rob is that over the years, he has developed like that shell in terms of not letting people in necessarily. And so, specifically with Black China, like here he had that relationship with her, which of course they on their own terms made very public. I mean, and then it blew up. I mean, that was an absolute disaster in every sense of the word. So an argument to be made for dating someone like Malika is like that safety is so built in. The one outcome that you can guarantee, even if it didn't work out, is that like it'll never blow up in that way because there's already so much built in safety and trust and intimacy. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why in 
another life, it would have worked out. I just think that, listen, we have not seen Rob in a while. Um, and that is his own doing and that is his own choice. I just think with the way that Malika chooses to live her life, I don't think that she would want to be with somebody where it can't be like, not public for the sake of like publicity and clout, public in the way of she doesn't want to have to hide in her house. She doesn't want to have to hide away. She doesn't want to have to only do things away from the public. I think she likes that life. And I think that she enjoys the things that she does with Chloe and the things that she does in her own time. And so I think that if she were to date Rob, yeah, there would be that element of familiarity and there would be that element of safety for Rob specifically. But I can't see Malika really getting much out of that relationship anymore. You're saying solely in terms of how public facing or in this case, not public facing it would have to be? Yeah, I mean, I listen, I I don't know Rob's situation right now well enough to determine whether or not he would be able to be in a healthy relationship. I We haven't seen him since really he was with Black China. And at that time, the answer would have been a very obvious no. At this time, maybe he is capable of that. I literally don't know. But the only thing that I would be able to speak to as a testament to that would be the publicness of the relationship. And again, it's not about celebrity publicity. It's not about like being photographed by a paparazzi. It's about like going out to dinner. Yeah. I mean, it's a fair point. I wonder though, how much of it is like Rob just not doing appearances and doing these more public outings. Like, don't you think that within where he lives, he can go out and not be photographed or you think literally no. I mean, there's, it's not like he hasn't left the house, right? No, of course not. But I just, I think where he chooses to go is very limited. Think about it. Like, think about paparazzi. Think about people that take pictures in public, whether they see a celebrity at a restaurant. Like, we never get that of Rob. There's never an outdoor shot of him. There's never him at a restaurant. There's never him really doing anything. And maybe a lot of that is he goes to very specific places that respect his privacy and he knows that he can go to those places and be fine. But... I think that if he were to start to venture out of those places, we would have seen that. There would be pictures of him in line. Somebody would post a TikTok and be like, wow, I was at this place and Rob Kardashian was here today. Because I don't think people are as respectful as like to not post that on the internet, especially if they're not paparazzi, if they're just unassuming people going out of their business. Oh no, people are definitely not that respectful, specifically now in the age of TikTok. There, you're right, there would definitely be a video of him. And actually, as I'm thinking about it, that's a totally fair point. It's... It's not because Malika, you're right, not because Malika seeks like the fame aspect. She doesn't need that clearly. It's just like she wants to be able to go to Nobu Malibu on a date with her boyfriend. And if it's photographed, it's photographed. She doesn't want to go to be photographed. But if she happens to be photographed in the process, she doesn't want that to be the thing that stops her. I mean, this is like a thousand percent like a hypothesis. But as you're talking, I think you're right. Yeah, I do, too. If I'm Rob, I get it. I totally understand if that's not what he wants. And I want no. that for him. Like, I want him to have the safety and the privacy that he desires. Absolutely. Both of us relate to that so much. It's good. Right. All you want is to just go to Nobu and just have some crispy rice and lobster tempura and not get photographed. I mean, and I'm sure that's really difficult for him because think about it. Like, if Chris were to have her birthday party at Nobu, to pull up in the parking lot, to watch the thing, there's always paparazzi there. Just Rob, Rob then skips out on it because it's not in the comfort of her own home. And that's the thing that was so crazy when we saw Rob 
in that split second of Kardashians when he was at Chris's birthday dinner and everyone was DMing us and they were like, oh my God, I can't believe Rob's there. It wasn't because they don't have a relationship with Rob. It was just because Rob is so private that we couldn't even believe that we were getting him for one second on our cameras or that we were seeing him at a birthday dinner at a function like this. But most of their functions are very, very public. I mean, every time they go out in public as a family, there is a photo to prove it. And it must be really difficult for Rob to have to choose between being at family events and maintaining this privacy that has become like the most important thing in the entire world to him, understandably. That's why for Chris's birthday episode specifically, I remember us saying like, thank God for their sake, they were able to figure out a way to film it and have him really not be in the shot at all other than like one split second of his arm. Because to me, like worst case scenario is for Chris to want to have an intimate birthday dinner that typically Rob would feel inclined to go to, but because of the cameras, he wouldn't be there. And then all of a sudden he's not able to celebrate his mom's birthday. Like to me, that just can't happen. And Chris wouldn't allow it to happen. So they were able to figure out a way to like have it filmed because that was a huge part of the season. They weren't going to not film it, but also not film it in a way where he would then be dissuaded from coming. Like that's talk about a hack of the system that worked out perfectly in his favor. But that's why we were saying for Courtney's engagement, like there's a chance he was there. It's just, I have no concept at all of what Rob is at and what he chooses not to go to. Like I assume that for the big events, he's there and just not shown, but I don't know. Like, obviously, I don't actually want this because I really respect his privacy and the way that he's chosen to live his life. But in a hypothetical world, the thing that I would want more than anything is just like, anytime they tell us or show us pictures from an event, just like a little asterisk of like, Rob was not in attendance. Rob was in attendance. Right. It's like that when you get a Facebook notification, like so-and-so was marked safe during whatever, like so-and-so checked in X, like just a little check-in uh, on the Instagram. Right. That's all I want. Just to check in with Rob. Absolutely. I mean, in terms of the show, obviously we know like he has no desire to appear in it, but I also think he probably doesn't want any plot points that even remotely allude to his absence, meaning like a conversation between the sisters about quote, what's going on with Rob or like can we potentially include Rob? Like, I think he probably, and I'm sure they received this in respect to this and maybe didn't even ask about this, but I'm saying, I think it is very, very clearly understood of like the concept of Rob's clear desire for privacy is just something that is not going to be mentioned in the show. That's actually a good point. I hadn't thought about that. And they really do rarely mention him because of that fact, I believe. But, you know, in older seasons, even when Rob wasn't in the show or really didn't desire being on camera, a lot of the conversations between the family revolved around Rob, revolved around what Rob was doing, Rob's relationships, Rob getting his life together, Rob getting a job. Like they were, they were always, always talking about Rob. Rob very much was the boy baby of the family. He still is, of course. But when you watched the show, it became very, very apparent in the way that they spoke about him. And you're right, they don't really do that anymore. And I do believe that's out of respect for the way that he's chosen to live his life because those conversations were not always positive. Do you remember the sit-down dinner? I forget where they were, but it was like Chloe, Courtney, Kim, Chris, and I think specifically Chloe and Kim are really coming for Chris about like, you're going to buy your adult son a fucking home? 
remember that whole thing and when when Kim was pregnant and they had the series back and forth like I, I'm not even saying those conversations exist anymore I have no idea and I like don't even desire to I like genuinely truly respect that privacy but I don't think there is any world in which that would even be remotely discussed now publicly remember the episode where they were all at dinner where they were talking about Rob and China's show and Kim and Chris are going so hard in favor of like, this gives him a job. This is something for him to do. And Kendall was so opposed to it and could not fathom the fact that they felt like giving Rob a show was a good idea, that like his life should center around a TV show. And they were so heavily trying to explain to Kendall that like, at least this gives him something to do. Like they're, oh my God, that was like a fascinating time. And you know something? Kendall was so goddamn right about that one. That show, for everyone's sake, for Black Chinas, for Rob's, for the entire families, that was something that probably should have never happened. And if it never happened, they would have never been in that lawsuit and that would have saved all of them. I don't think it painted one person in a favorable light. I don't think it painted anybody in a favorable light, but I will say that one of the things it did do, and this is one of the arguments that Chris makes, is that it gave Rob something to do. Like, I don't think in the end it was a good choice, but I think in the moment what they were seeing was Rob being willing to go out in public and be seen. And I think that for Chris specifically, who of course was so worried about her son, any... um, any inkling that he was maybe returning to his old self was so unbelievably welcomed by her that it blinded her from the real red flags of the show and the relationship. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, and I don't think that you can blame or judge them for that because it wasn't coming from a place of like monetary gain. He didn't, yeah, it gave him a job, but he didn't need it. It wasn't like a money grab necessarily as much as there was a financial incentive. I, I completely believe Kim and Chris when they say like, it, it gives him a quote purpose. Like it gives him a thing. I, I just think that they would probably look back at that now and say, you know what? We had to find another way to get him there. That, that clearly wasn't it. I do too. I agree. Yeah. So interesting. Forgot about that. Anyway. I mean, the other, listen, the other part of this episode, it's just the Chloe and Lamar unbreakable fragrance. Not really worth discussing. They make this unisex fragrance called unbreakable. They kind of fight about it and they end up being totally fine. But I love myself some some uh, OG Lamar. I can't help it. He's so charming. So charming. And like when he's in those confessionals, he looks so handsome and they're just so great together. I just, we knew this was going to happen, but it, it happened in terms of like, you know, very quickly you can look at the situation with rose colored glasses and immediately you have to jolt yourself back to like the reality. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> For anyone that's still here, thank you guys so much for listening. Isabel and I will be back on Friday like normal for our Bravo episode. And then we'll be back next week with the normal schedule. Thanks for letting us do this. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. 
And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.